Hello, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can support us. You just need to click on the link and become an Acast supporter. It's a one-off donation. You can give as much or as little as you like, and uh, there's no commitment. But it certainly helps us to keep producing these podcasts. So thank you very much. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ideas in writing. Hello, I'm Philip Holden and this is episode six. I'm definitely going with that numbering from now on of Ideas in Writing. It's a podcast about words that are spoken, performed, published and sometimes sung and in this case painstakingly hand-drawn because this time it's with the very lovely and talented Rickard sisters, creators of what I think is uh, one of the books of the year. It's a graphic novel version of the ragged trousered philanthropists. It's a long, sometimes difficult read but in this version it's, uh, it gives new life to this hugely influential book by Robert Tressel. Um, Sophie and Scarlett are from Lancashire originally, but now live in Cheshire and in Kent. So we talk about how they started writing and drawing and the difficulties of adapting such a huge and important book and their admiration for TV and film adaptations. And uh, we talk about social justice. Uh, the word Sophie and Scarlett brought with them was perhaps naturally philanthropist, but for reasons that you might not have thought about. And I suggested the word sketch. So here's my chat with Sophie and Scarlett Rickard, philanthropist, sketch. So, um, hello Sophie and hello Scarlett. Hello, Philip. It's nice to uh, nice to meet you online, as it were, in these strange times. How are you doing? Pretty well. I think these strange times kind of suit us quite well in a funny kind of way because we both quite like being at home. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I must admit, I I appreciate that. It's nice not getting on a train or having to get in the car all the time. 
Mm. I think we also invented remote working because we work together very closely from 200 miles away and have done for years. So that hasn't been too stressful for us. No, we're quite used to this kind of thing. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's I think, one of the intriguing things about the way you work because you've, obviously, for people who don't know, <laughs> you've produced two books uh, together, Man's Best Friend, which I, I just read uh, two days ago. <laughs> And uh, and we'll come on to talk about uh, the Ragged Trousers Philanthropist, which is an amazing book. I think it's just it's beautiful to look at, and it just works so well. But we'll come on to talk about that in a minute because that's how I I came across you two. But um, yeah, you you work together remotely, um, yeah. and, and you kind of carve up the the uh, the writing of the book absolutely down the middle, don't you? It's it's words and pictures. Yeah, we have a very sort of clear idea of whose job's what, but that's not to say that we don't stick our nose in each other's business as well. (laughs) Um, It's not as cut and dried as straight down the middle, is it, really? I mean, it nearly is. So it's to make the story in words, and it's Scarlett's Hmm. job to make the story in pictures, which is a good thing because I'm not as good at drawing. And um, so... So although we start off like that, we then work together in the sense that we'll have a, say, a FaceTime conversation and be able to see what each other are doing. And we'll come up with a storyboard. So those things like what happens in what order starts off being my job, but then ends up being more of a collaboration. And then as Scarlett draws, she shows me what she's doing as she goes along. And sometimes I pick holes in it. And sometimes I just think, oh, that's brilliant. Go on, Scarlett. No, I was just going to say, I, I really like um, drawing stuff that Sophie might not expect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what kind tell, of things? You can tell from the books that where like, there are details that no one would have put in the script. <laughs> like, <laughs> There's no way that I would have asked her to draw a horse doing a poo in the Ragged Trousers Philanthropist, but she still did it. And it's things like that that really, we, we, you can tell that we're going out of our way to make each other laugh. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I have to say, one of the things that I noticed about the Ragged Trousers Philanthropist, and I, I'm a great fan of um, uh, Janet Olberg's mm-hmm. uh, illustrations for, for the Olberg's books, Alan and, and Janet Olberg. I don't know whether you know those, but. Yeah, very um, much. And I and I just thought there were real echoes of that, the sort of detail in that, and some of those uh, sign writing and the shop fronts and the uh, the lighting in the street is so evocative. I really enjoyed that. Oh, what great! Oh, what what an accolade to yeah. be compared well, to the Olbergs. One of the things they did so brilliantly was that although they're making children's books, there are loads of grown-up jokes in there, and this is years before Pixar started doing that with film. You know, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and you know, when you read Burglar Bill, there's a lot there for the parent to read as well. <laughs> yeah, actually, my favourite book. Yeah, the best. Uh, I mean, of all books, I don't just mean children's books. I mean, it's just, it's just perfect. Yeah, I, I think um, the Jolly Postman is my favourite book as the as the artist of the gang. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's that's very much a kind of event, isn't it? I mean, it's not it's not even just a book. It's it's kind of it's brilliant. It's, it's so immersive, and I love yeah. the idea. I mean, as a child, I loved the idea of um, making fake real things. There's just something so fantastic about opening all the letters and 
and having yeah. sort of um uh what's it called you know junk mail but drawn yes I loved that i absolutely yeah. loved it i think yes yeah, so the witch's catalog isn't it yeah that's right yeah she yeah. loves an artifact and she loves all of that uh social history which you can see from the book that she really notices those kind of details and i think that's part of the aspect of the jolly postman that you like because you're opening up and discovering things yeah definitely yeah. so uh so where did this all start uh obviously your sisters i don't know whether i say that obviously but people might not have realized that we um, you are... occasionally whether we're actual sisters or like you know sisters as in the sisterhood but we are oh okay we have yeah. the same parents <laughs> right. <laughs> and you you're born in Lancashire. So whereabouts in Lancashire? I'm from Lancashire as well, I should say. Oh, all the best people are from Lancashire, obviously. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, we were born and brought up uh, in Worley, uh, which is near Clitheroe. Um, I know exactly uh, where Worley is. My best friend it. used to live on Worley Road. Oh, wow. Uh, Accrington, yeah. Oh, I went to college in Accrington. What yeah. to um uh, what's it called? Yeah, so did I. Did my uh, yeah. for sixth form? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not in the same class now. No, <laughs> no, I'm far, far too old for that. I don't know. You, you can never tell with these things. How <laughs> old you think we are? <laughs> no, I don't. No, I think I think you're probably in your late twenties. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, I was saying to uh, Scarlett. Uh, I think, oh no, I was saying to Sophie, no, Scarlet. See, I'm, I'm already mixing it up already. Um, that before I started, that I had this picture of you as uh, as kind of uh, hippies um, living in a, a, a teepee or a, a yurt or something. And uh, I, I don't know how accurate that is, but but I definitely have you pictured as much younger than me. But no, so you you started off in Worley. Yeah. Uh, which calls itself a village, but really, I mean, it's a bit big to get away with that now, especially recently. I think they've built a lot more houses in that area now. But it's a lovely area. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. And I do really, I, I live down in Kent now and I do really miss, um, you know, the Pennines and the, just being in the yeah. hills and the lack of people. Uh, yeah, people in Kent don't really know what a hill is, do they? <laughs> no, there's hills round Folkestone that they call hills. They're not hills, they're pimples. <laughs> <laughs> round your way, don't you get big white pitches on your hills? That's quite exciting. Yeah, we do. We've got a big white horse on one of our little tiny pimples. Yeah, we, they're making yeah. the most of them. There's, there's no big white horses on Wally and Ab. No, but no. Wally Nab was my favourite place. I used to love going up there. Yeah. Going up the little hill and you sit on top and you could see all down the valley and it was just great. Yeah, miss that. There's a lot of that in Man's Best Friend. You'll have found the landscape familiar, Philip. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's another thing that uh, endeared it to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, I, I know it's a sort of truism to say, but it has a real sense of place. It's kind of located in a, a particular place rather than uh, somewhere generic. So um, so growing up in Worley, did, did your kind of education so on take you in different directions now that one of you is writing and one of you is drawing? Um, it's kind of always been that way. So Scarlett has always drawn, always, and she used to say, even like probably before I could write, tell me what to draw, tell me what to draw. So making yeah. stuff up is kind of what I do. 
<laughs> and, okay. And and she makes it real. So, but we haven't worked really closely our whole lives. There was a big, big chunk in our twenties um, where we hardly had were in touch with each other. We used to catch up on news through our parents. I lived abroad, and I've had two children and gone off and done different things. And Scarlett was playing in a band, and you know, we went in different directions. But then in our thirties, we ended up on the same metaphorical sofa because we both have a uh, what we now know is a genetic heritable condition that made us both quite poorly and it took a while oh, wow. to work out what was going on and now we know what it is we're better at managing it and being able to work together and understand each other and being able to work lying down on our own respective sofas has made all the So yeah. so that was the kind of real moment of uh, of change was it it was really because um i i sort of got ill first with it um i'm a little bit older than sophie and i i sort of came i, I was working very hard i was working for a, an arts company uh, doing quite long hours <clears throat> and uh, i just got more and more and more exhausted until i ended up in hospital and when i came out of hospital i couldn't work and i was signed off sick for 6 months and um, I remember going up to stay with our mum and she took me over to um, a pub that Sophie and her husband were running at the time. And it's the first time I'd really seen much of Sophie for a long time. Um, and I remember saying, I really want to draw something. I sort of need to draw something. Tell me what to draw. And Sophie was tidying up, like, you know, the empties at the end of the night. And she just said... She just started telling me this story, and it was man's best friend. Oh wow! <laughs> and that's that's how we started, really. So in a way, it was kind of occupational therapy for me at the beginning, and then it became occupational therapy for Sophie <laughs> a bit later on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you described the uh, the process of writing man's best friend as a bit more chaotic. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah we really didn't know what we were doing. And I'm not completely sure we do now, but we, we've got more experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we don't have a background in comics like a lot of people who work in this industry do. Um, we're, we're far more, you know, Alberg yeah. in our approach, really. Um, and we kind of just enjoy the, the fun of making up stories, you know. And um, so when we were doing Man's Best Friend, although we knew at the end of it there would be a book, it wasn't really the goal. In fact, I don't remember while I was drawing it thinking, what you know, I don't remember knowing what we were going to do with it at the end. Oh, really? It was kind of the process of making it was the fun bit. Yeah, I don't remember thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to have a book. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. It was very exciting when we did. Oh, it was really exciting. I yeah. think I would, yeah. I would really count it as one of the best days of my life, the day that the proof copy of Man's Best Friend turned up. And I sat next to my husband in bed while he read it and him laughing out loud at all the funny bits. Just, oh, it was oh that's amazing when my children were born for sure (laughs) yeah there is something about seeing it uh made real and also i think seeing more than one copy of it (laughs) yeah having some on a shelf is is never get over i don't think one of the things i really love is hearing other people talk about characters i've made up 
So I spend a lot of time in a fictional universe in my head and it's always been quite a private situation that nobody else engages in. But with my best friend and you have, I mean, I don't know about you, but people tend to have quite um, uh, uh, visceral feelings about some of the characters. And it took us aback a bit, didn't it, Scarlett? How much Mm -hmm. people really hated Terry's sister. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, and- yes, because it's sort of unfiltered, isn't it? I mean, you live with these these characters, but they just have, as you say, that sort of visceral reaction, as if they're real. Yeah. I mean, funnily enough, with with um, Man's Best Friend, because it's not a massively long book, it's one hundred and forty eight pages, I think. Um, although Sophie and I know all the the sort of background of the characters and you know we, we've had such a laugh about people who just happen to be walking past in the street and stuff because we we invented this town Oldroyd which is kind mm. of kind well, it's, it's Lancashire but I'm basically reclaiming Todmorden for Lancashire <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that's, that's right and proper. That's quite. Yeah, cool. it's right. So, so it's kind of Calderdale, but it's Lancashire, um, yeah. and uh, yeah. So um, we'd made up all these backstories and stuff for for the characters, and so for us, it's a whole world. Um, but uh, it was quite fun, sort of watching people reacting to it. But with the Ragged Trouser Philanthropists, um, it. I actually felt the same as as people do when they're reading books. I like the the characters for the Ragged Child Philanthropist started off just as drawings, and as I was drawing them, they became real people to me as well. So okay, yeah. they they brought on their own kind of their own thoughts and feelings and personality, and and I was just sort of a conduit. It was very odd. I think because it was a long book, I spent a lot of time with them. It's true for me as well, even to the point that I handed over a script that's sort of like a screenplay to Scarlett for the drawing to begin. And by that stage, we'd cut it down from 255,000 words to about, was it 35, Scarlett? Yeah, about Including, like, stage directions and stuff. So you can imagine, I'd spent a lot of time in that world with those people and really trying really carefully to uh, make it shorter without losing anything, which is hard. And then Scarlett started drawing these people, and there were people, characters that I didn't particularly like, in in the original and even in my adaptation that I thought they were unpleasant and once Scarlett started drawing them and our process is that she'll send me a page as she goes so it's almost like uh, getting a, a subscription I love it but <laughs> these people grew on me and I started to feel much warmer towards some of them and to see a different side of them which is really extraordinary isn't it yeah yeah, it, it is like it takes a, a, on a life of its own. Yeah. But uh, I wanted to ask you, Sophie, then, how did you get to the point where you you had the confidence to tackle this huge book and to think you could edit it down? Um, I, I don't know how to answer that question. It was, <laughs> it was possibly it was foolishness. It was Scarlett's idea. I'll blame her. Um, Scarlett knew that the book was so well loved and so difficult to get on with and was very aware that all of that detail that's in there is very visual like a lot of stuff about the actual work that the men do and the decorating and those kind of things you know it is really expressive 
and wordy and could be shown well in pictures. So mm. she persuaded me. <laughs> uh, okay, so Scarlett, you 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 came across the book or you were kind of engaged with the book uh, before? I wouldn't say engaged in a traditional manner. Um, <laughs> I was given the book uh, by my... Sophie's godfather. laughing at that for some oh, no. reason. Uh, <laughs> I, I was given the book by my godfather um, and when I was about 12 or 13, I think, Which and it was a hardback. Young. Yeah, too young. It was a hardback and it was yeah. massive. And so really, for most of our childhoods and adolescence, we used it to weigh down tents when we were building dens with old dust sheets yeah. and things. Fair enough. Um, yeah. it, was, it was a heavy weight. It was a useful heavy weight. And it was only much later in life, um, in fact, probably only uh, 10, 15 years ago, that I found another, I don't know what happened to the original copy but I found another copy of it and I thought oh I'll just I might I should probably read this really because my godfather intended me to do that and so I started reading it and and was really struck by how visual it was and yeah. then uh, because at that point we weren't making books and I wasn't in touch with Sophie particularly um I just kind of put it on the shelf in my mind and forgot about it and then when uh, the, the real sort of surge of socialism in the Labour Party happened it, and we'd done Man's Best Friend, I just thought, this is the book we should be doing. Yeah. It came back to me. So, yeah. So so how did you persuade Sophie that, that she could edit it from 250,000 words? With the use of an audio book. <laughs> <laughs> I love audio ah. books. Uh, but to be fair, I also really love very long, depressing books. <laughs> go on name another one that you really love just so we've got a recommendation oh les miserables oh, okay hard times yeah um weathering heights yeah it's those all work yeah long miserable books my my children once went into a bookshop looking for a birthday present for me my husband reported this and a nice bookseller leant down to Max, who must have been six or seven or something at the time, and said, what kind of books does Mummy like? And apparently Max said, she likes ones where everyone dies at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I do have form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so, so you, were you keen to take it on then? I, I mean, it just seems such a daunting task. I, to be honest, if I had truly appreciated how daunting it was when I started I might have had more qualms but I'm glad I didn't yeah I think it's so, a good thing to bite off more than you can chew sometimes and just take your time and keep going yeah of course yeah so um I was just gonna say that sorry that was the, the uh, audiobook that kind of made it uh, accessible to you I um in I like audiobooks anyway and I tend to uh listen to speech radio almost all the time mm. so it's a format I'm very comfortable with and I listen again to some of those ones that I just reeled off that I love yeah having the audio books of Dickens is one of my pain relief strategies because I find it really relaxing so being able to have the audio book as well as the textbook really helps you feel like you're in it and 
you know get to know you to to start chopping a book up you've got to really know it inside out yeah yeah that's what i thought yeah um and clever uh, so clever how she did it i mean sort of cutting it all up i mean she had a piece of lining paper you know really long piece of lining paper divided up into the months of the years that the book covers and she had uh, post-it notes stuck all over it for all the different scenes and what's going on. You know, so yeah. she made it a kind of visual thing. I, I was just really in awe of the whole process. It was amazing. Then, then I really upset Scarlett by starting at the beginning and the end and working my way to the middle. <laughs> that does sound crazy. Well, it yeah. does, but the middle of the original novel is a kind of misery swamp. Mm. Um, that's quite hard to get through I think as a reader or I felt anyway and I yeah uh I I wanted to the start has the setup and the end has all the action and so I wanted to meet in the middle to make the swamp hold all of that up instead of drag it down mm. yeah yeah I see what you mean but what, what you came up with and I, I know you have your uh your your big folder of <laughs> uh of the pages and the the story what you came yeah, up with as you say was a was a screenplay yeah yes yeah because it's like writing for telly and scarlet gets to choose the locations the costume the actors all of the props and the weather <laughs> oh yeah i forgot about the yeah. weather yeah i am yeah. the the god of mugsborough <laughs> we've discovered since then that real comic art teams they have a writer, an artist, a colourist, and a letterer. Yeah. And an inker sometimes. Sometimes oh, yeah. one person does the pencils and the other person inks it. But yeah. what I couldn't believe is that the writer tells, when I say I tell Scarlett what to draw, I don't tell her what to put in each panel. Like that's no. That that's her job. <laughs> but some of your descriptions are uh, do they do open a scene don't they they, t- they say it's an interior it's night time and yeah. so on and, and so that's exactly other so well i can write something like for instance when we were doing man's best friend i could write something like terry is appalled and just yeah. leave it to scarlet to show that <laughs> in fact yeah. in fact i remember in man's best friend i think there was a couple of places that said terry's face <laughs> yeah terry's face <laughs> When we when we were kids, <laughs> when we were kids, our parents had a friend who was an actress on Coronation Street. And, All right. Um, she played uh, Reenie Roberts. Robert. No, Roberts. Reenie Roberts. Alf Roberts's wife. Fair. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. Uh, she, I remember Mum saying that she'd gone to the set of Coronation Street, and um, uh, Madge had shown her the script. And at the end of Coronation Street, just before the theme tune, there's always somebody's reaction. And on the script, yes. it just says, Alf's face. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> because it, it, like, focuses in on Alf's reaction and then it's the end of the programme. And so we've kept that in. in That's very cool. That's really good. <laughs> So has it occurred to you that somebody could pick up uh, the Ragged rag- Trouser Philanthropist as it is and shoot it as a film? Yeah, I think it, it's really common for people to make films from graphic novels because we've basically done all the work. 
<laughs> in yeah. a sense. I mean, not to obviously not to take away from the huge amount of effort and and talent that goes into making a film, but uh, but I mean, a lot of making a graphic novel is is to do with pacing and camera angles and you know all of that stuff. What I'd really love yeah. for this one is for somebody to turn it into an animated film like Ethel and Ernest. Yeah, yeah. that would be fantastic. Yeah. In fact, while I was drawing it, I, like what I was saying about them sort of taking on a, a character of their own, um, I remember actually sort of half imagining these people moving as I was drawing them towards the end. Yeah. yeah it would be great to do a, to do an animated film. Yeah. That would take a long time. Oh, it? It <laughs> and having done a little bit of animation myself, I don't think I want to do it by myself. It is COVID know, secure, think, uh... though, animating. Sorry? COVID secure, isn't it? You'd oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just, I was just looking at the, uh, to be talking about weather, I was just looking at the picture of the, uh, uh, one of the characters walking past the uh, confectioner's shop on the corner. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's called Ormishers, which was my auntie's married name. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Oh, that's a good coincidence. Yeah. yeah. But you're right. I mean, as you say, the sort of picture paints a thousand words. I mean, it's it's each of, I mean, I, I don't think your pictures need to do a thousand words, actually thinking how many pictures there are in the book. <laughs> um, but you've got, you, you must have, uh, a, in, a, in a way, more kind of uh, vivid detail in in your version of uh, of the book than than there was in the original because uh, it's no it's known as being i suppose quite preachy in yeah in its original approach yeah i think the original is and in a way it is but it also is um i think that there was some things that chettle did which are very clever as the storytelling devices like he um he repeats himself a lot um Mm. and uh what sophie did was kind of keep that in in a sense but but reduce the number of repeats down (laughs) Um, because he what he does is he he explains where the workmen are all sitting together and and owen's rattling on about politics again he explains um an economic situation in words and Mm. then it happens to the character's um in action straight afterwards yeah so yeah. so that you can see it actually happening and you're referring back to what you've just learned about you know so and it's a very clever way of getting ideas across um and of course that works much better in a graphic novel in a sense because um you know you can see it all happening it's un- unfolding visually um but I think the original I mean it had a lot of descriptive stuff in it but it was quite um, quite sort of I don't want to say nitpicky but it, it's kind of like it, describing the work of the painters and decorators to the you know the, the grit of the sandpaper you know I mean it was very uh, macro mm. um, sort of description yeah. so in a way yeah. I, I actually jettisoned some of that description um, in, you know, in, in order to be able to draw the book in a sensible number of pages. <laughs> yeah, but I suppose, it, yeah, I mean, it shows that this is kind of a, a really successful uh, filtering process gone on there because, you know, ultimately some of that detail is unnecessary, but, 
but the the detail that's now in there, as I say again, a real sense of of place and time, mm. and and a you know a, a like a like a really good uh, movie, um, you know, a kind of a, a, a very strict palette, so it's mm. consistent, um, and and those are things that you wouldn't necessarily get from the original book, which was, I know, Sophie, you said something about. Um, uh, ending up not really liking Robert Tressel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a bit cheeky of me, really, since we're very much eating from his table. But I spent a lot of time locked in a room with him, in a sense. And yeah. I'm not convinced that when he was writing the original, he had his reader in mind at all. Right. <laughs> he was brilliant. And he had a lot to say and was extremely frustrated that people weren't listening to him. And it kind of shows. <laughs> right. So, but the longer I spent with him, the more I came to admire the way he went about things. Like Scarlett says, it, the, the device of showing these economic theories simply explained and challenged with all of the things that we all hear in the pub all the time like it's not for the likes hmm. of us and all of that I mean it's impossible to read either his version or our version without thinking of like modern equivalence that's happening around us right now yeah but then to show it using a, a bunch of people you've come to love hmm. is like a soap opera so I think that the book is famous about, like you say, it's known for being preachy. And I think that Robert Tressel's communication style was on the preachy side, I think, very much. Yeah. But what people remember about it is these politics lessons and these conversations of it that people will say it's about this book is about a load of workmen who work together. But it's actually about the whole community. It's about those men's whole lives, their whole yeah domestic situations it's got their wives and their parents and their children because one of the things that it does is shows how poverty affects every aspect of a person's life so mm. not that much of it is about work really no but that's no. how the men know each other yeah, yeah. I, I must admit when i when i did read it the original which i read as a i think i read it as a kindle book because it's free as you said i think it's <laughs> the original is free not heavy. Uh, sorry not as heavy to carry around no no i have to say i don't have a kindle anymore because it it broke and i didn't want to replace it so i don't it's like it anyway. pence down. no no exactly <laughs> uh but when i read it i mean i think the two things that really struck me about it one is as you say it's sort of the applicability to uh to modern times mm -hmm. and the sort of uh, persistence of, uh, of poverty and the, and the way it's kind of structurally embedded in society and kind of reinforced. And, and, and of course, the, the money trick, the, that sort of demonstration mm -hmm. of, 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 of kind of how it works. Mm. Um, but, uh, but also, I, I think I thought at the time that the the device of them all working on this big house was sort of obviously a device, if you see what I mean. Very it's much of... so. I mean, the house is called the cave, which I took to mean Plato's cave. Oh, yeah. Never and occurred so to me, yes. He's uh, in, in Plato's cave is all about how the people are sitting and they're seeing 
these shapes on the wall which they think is their whole life because that's all they can see but actually yeah. the shapes on the wall are the shadows cast from puppets held up against a fire and mm-hmm. that's exactly what he's saying yeah mm. the working people are seeing this and thinking it's all there is but that's yeah. because it's the only thing that capitalism is letting them understand yeah, yeah. so it's it absolutely speaks to to nowadays doesn't it with uh you know the, the who the idea of power controlling the narrative or controlling culture mm. and um, my favorite uh, uh, <laughs> my favorite French uh, social theorist Pierre Bourdieu mm-hmm. so, <laughs> says we're, we're all fish in water mm-hmm. uh, yeah we don't notice the water yes yeah and I'm I'm just reading at the moment um, fully up, automated luxury communism by Aaron Bastani and he's, oh, yeah. he's teaching me all about capitalist realism, which is what all of us at our age have very much grown up with, understanding that it's the only viable way to organise society. That anything yeah. like that, and you can see it in in regatars of philanthropists. They say there'll always be rich and poor in the world. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, human yeah. nature is human nature as well. Is something that keeps coming up. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it comes up. I mean, it's particularly uh, opposite at the moment in in a sort of non economic sphere, isn't it? And this this constant debate about how much we can control people during the pandemic and yeah, you know, the, this the argument you can't put controls on people over Christmas because they won't respect them anyway. And it's, as you say, Scarlett, it's human nature, isn't it? Yeah, just yeah, it'll be what it, you know. Yeah, it's that it is the whole sort of. But look at the way they've handled it in the east. Mm-hmm. not human nature it's an individualistic community and society yeah. yes. way of understanding things if we had a more communal understanding then people wouldn't want to be mixing at christmas yeah yeah but i and i guess yeah what um what that uh sort of control particularly kind of through i suppose mass media does is it gives people the the tools to think about how much they're empowered to to do something about a situation like this. So even if you are in a in a community like Aldroyd, <laughs> that is, uh, you know, it is a community. Um, the way you think about it is so shaped by the media you consume and Absolutely. the stories you're told about it. And it's interesting that that the way I mean, obviously, I blame Thatcher for a lot of things. But but yeah. the way that um, society in Britain now is is very much kind of it's kind of being set up to be individualistic. Even if people mm. on the ground are actively um, more community minded, or some of them are, um, the the way the the sort of the narrative is is we should all be fighting individually against lockdown or against. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's this kind of weird freedom thing mm. where freedom is individuals shouting into the void <laughs> um, yes, yeah. instead of actively uh, coming together and realising there's actually different ways of doing things that might be better for everybody. Um, yeah. it's, it's almost like a divide and, and rule situation that's gone down to the very tiny increments of individual people in the country dividing from everybody yeah. else it's a very strange time it is yeah and it's it is 
you do kind of feel it's it's um, echoed or amplified by social media, which is uh, appears to be social, but is actually individualistic. <laughs> but antisocial in a lot of ways. But it can yeah. be a brilliant way of getting together with people that you want to make connections with as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, it can be, I think, yeah. Positive sides for people's mental health as well as the negatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I suppose, that, yeah, there's a question about how you uh, navigate between those two. And I don't know the answer to that. I'm always being told off for using Twitter. <laughs> this conversation is reminding me to tell you about the word that we wanted to bring. Oh, goodness me. Yes. Thank you, Sophie. Yes, I did. I did. And I, I had a note in front of me to say words. So, yes, go on. What was your word? We've decided to bring one word between us. Good idea. And um, we decided to bring a word that's very long and hard to pronounce and really annoying to fit on the cover (laughs) which is philanthropist yeah oh okay so um robert tressel has gifted us with a wonderful story and an absolutely impossible title yeah doesn't Mm. anywhere and people can't say it so the word philanthropist i mean it's the opposite of a misanthropist so yeah it, coming from greek it means man love but not in the fun way yeah. um so it's somebody who's feeling altruistic towards humankind and putting their money where their mouth is mm. yeah but there's yeah. a lot of i mean <laughs> the ragged trousered philanthropists is a very sarcastic title because what tressel is saying is that these are the poor people who are uh by means of charity keeping the rich afloat yeah and that's the message of the book and that hasn't changed much and no. uh, the comedian Hennig Venn says uh, in Germany we don't do charity we just pay our taxes yeah. and it's a good point I mean I think the things that, for example, Marcus Rashford has been doing in the last few months are absolutely incredible Mm. for raising awareness and the profile of what it's like to grow up in modern Britain with not enough to live on, even though your parents are working as hard as they can. Yeah. But still people are not saying why. Yeah. And people that are digging their hands in their pockets and giving money for things like Marcus Rashford's appeal. Well, cap that whole Captain Tom thing, raising money for the NHS. Why yeah. isn't anybody appalled that the NHS isn't getting enough money from our taxes in the first place? It shouldn't be. Yeah, it's happen. shocking, isn't and, it? And when you look at um by proportion of your income, poor people give far, far, far more to charity than rich people. Yeah, and, and indeed, still pay more tax. <laughs> yes, pay more tax. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, I was I was utterly amazed. Where you know the uh, UN rapporteur, 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 rapporteur. That's the word. Thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> on poverty, the report a year or so ago uh, on the growth of uh, childhood poverty in the UK. And I was just amazed that that got so little attention 
Food banks is another one, isn't it? It's become completely normal and a nice middle-class thing to do to pop a couple of tins in the food bank basket in the supermarket while you're there. Mm. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That is our mother, right on cue. She always does this. I've just. Oh, does she want to join in? Probably. (laughs) She would love it. She'll be really (laughs) next. I I put myself on do not disturb. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> no i like the choice of word anyway i mean it's it's absolutely opposite i uh i'm just reminded that the connecting it up with uh social media i used to because i i did a degree in anthropology mm. uh, i i i used to choose as my uh username philanthropologist oh that's a good one um, that's a good yeah good. it's been used a lot though i think so I, it's not uh it's not always available yeah but uh, my word bill because I'm called Phil, yes. Yeah, no, I was uh, saying, are they all called Phil, all the other people who've used it? Cause... Oh, I don't know. I don't know. That's yeah. a good point. Um, my word, for what it's worth, was going to be uh, sketch. Mm. Only because it seemed to unite the the sort of process of, uh, of uh, sketching out the story, uh, drawing mm. the pictures, and also this idea, which fascinated me, of of writing this as a as a screenplay, as a you know, as a it's it's there's a sort of theatricality about it, yeah, and a, an an economy of uh, of line and words. That I think it has uh, doing the ragged trousers of philanthropist, particularly has made me really appreciate, um, partly really appreciate adaptations on television, yeah. but all but mm. generally just really appreciate. Um, television drama you know that the it's made me really appreciate you know that the kind of camera angles and the you know the the tension and stuff and yeah. how people get get feelings across um and it, it yeah I feel quite like it you know it, it is a similar sort of um a similar sort of approach really yeah it's a bit yeah. nerdy but one of the things my son and I are apt to do is to watch three or four different adaptations of the same story, one after the other, and then talk about the choices that they made. That you know, oh, yeah. it it's a real art form, and doing this it really is. made me appreciate that. All the time I was doing it, I was had the sort of this voice on my shoulder that there are people that absolutely love this book and love <laughs> it, and it's their actual bible, and yeah. I kind of kept, I just kept saying to myself, whatever I do, it's going to be wrong for someone. But if I do my best, then I can just say, if you don't like it, what would you have done? Off you go. You have a go, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And it made me realise that, you know, like there's an adaptation of one of the Austins that drives me absolutely mad because they miss out what I think is the most important scene in the book. But I feel a lot more generous towards that person than I used to. (laughs) Yeah, because one thing um, that you don't take into account is is the restriction that they might be under of time, for example. They can only, like, our book had to be this length. We couldn't make it any longer because it was going to start getting unviable. Um, right. And so you've got to make decisions based on on brevity as well as as artistically. You know, there's all kinds of stuff where you have to make a decision of how to show something in in the shortest possible way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is it is all about making those decisions, isn't it? And I guess uh, some of those make themselves, do they? I mean, in the sense that you know, you 
you miss out something or you avoid doing something that's difficult. <laughs> Some of them are easier than others. So yeah. like there were things that got in it that were still in it far enough for Scarlet to have drawn them and then they got cut. Yeah. We have deleted scenes. All <laughs> yeah. oh, right. So there's DVD extras. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Because um, oh, so, Sorry. I was just going to say, how does that happen, Scarlett? Uh, how does that work? But does that mean you have to redraw? Were you drawing frames or were you drawing whole pages? No, I, I draw whole pages. So so did you have to redraw? Uh, yeah, or just cut them out altogether in some cases, just remove right. them because we had to shorten the book. Um, um, our publisher, um, Self Made Hero, um, have been brilliant. And one, one of the things that they did early on was to put us together with an editor who isn't actually an editor. He's a comic artist and writer himself, David Hine. Um, and he doesn't really like being classed as an editor because he thinks editors are annoying. But <laughs> but he's he was really brilliant because he had a lot of experience with working in comics, which we hadn't. Um, okay. And so he was more like a mentor, really, um, as we went through the process. Um, I've said before, I, I really feel like doing the Ragged Charles of Philanthropist was our kind of Beatles in Hamburg moment. It, it kind <laughs> of it, it, it whipped us into shape. <laughs> we yeah. managed to get so far with a script that was too long that we ended up throwing a chapter of art away. Yeah. Right. Which we wouldn't yeah. do now. But you sometimes you have to learn the hard way in Hamburg. Yeah. Because I think we'd drawn, I think we, I can't remember how far into the book we got before Dave came on board. I think, but we'd drawn quite a lot of it. Um, and uh, then we, there was halfway through, there was a moment where the publisher said there were too many words on the page. You know, we have to cut it down. And so Sophie and I, using the miracle of remote working, had a shared document um, where we of the script, and we went through it from beginning to end, cutting it down b- together, yeah. um, which was a really good process. Actually, it was very interesting because um, one of the things is that we decided at the beginning we tried to keep the uh, language as original as we could to to Tressels, um, mm. but it became quite clear that if you're going to sell this to a modern audience um, as a graphic novel, it would be better not to have really archaic Edwardian language with sentences that go on for... Yes. Um, it would be better to to make it more accessible. And so at that point, we modernised it. Um, okay. So that was relatively late in the process. Yeah. yeah. Too late, really. Yeah. <laughs> and then we went back <laughs> and like, we did all the lettering. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Well, that's oh, yeah. the other thing that people don't necessarily appreciate is that every word is written by Scarlet by hand. Yeah, a lot of people make yeah. fonts these days to to uh, like their handwriting. Um, yes. There's something about actively writing it that makes me feel more connected to the reader somehow. It's like I, I've personally looked over every single detail on this page. Yeah somehow you know it's like a it's more of a connection and I think it feels different anyway I mean I don't think any of those uh kind of handwriting fonts however much they vary uh, kind of feel Mm. quite right 
Um, yeah, there's also I think there's something about it, the emotion when you're writing something and it's an emotional thing. It somehow comes across, and I don't know how. But uh, I think that yeah. when when you're doing it by hand, it, it you're in the moment as well as the person who's reading it is. Yeah, I think that's that's right, and I think it it does come across. I mean, it just fits together so well in that. Uh, uh, as I say, when I when I when you read it, it's kind of it, it's so well put together, um, and I, and as I say, I love the uh, the sign writing and the <laughs> uh, and those, those aspects, which must have taken you forever. Well, one of my unbelievably quick. That's one really? of the things that made this slightly less of a ridiculous idea than it might have been. Is that Scarlett really does tear through the work? She wouldn't be popular on a building site. <laughs> <laughs> no sorry i'm being distracted because the bin men are here but it's wednesday and that's not that's not what's supposed to happen what is the world coming Does to this mean that you, your bin's not going to get collected because that's well really i'm wondering good. that yeah I don't, it's all very mysterious sorry it was a bit very distracting right no it's all right the world's gone mad, <laughs> world's gone mad. yeah no yeah. i i do I do work quite quickly, um, but while I was doing it, of course, I was I was working on work as well, um, and so I was doing ridiculous hours. Towards the end, um, you know, I was towards the end. I was averaging about a page of art a day. Wow! Um, for months. Um, for, yeah, for months. I mean, it was eighteen months of drawing, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was doing, you know, like six hours of paid work and then eight hours of ragged trousers straight after it so i was sort of finishing starting work like seven every morning and finishing at 10 for months <laughs> and when it all finished it was that weird kind of what do i do with all this time <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean both of you do other jobs as well yeah so it's not yeah, yeah. i mean although uh, mine is almost the same because I, I draw so uh, I'm, I'm a graphic artist so I, I do um, poster design and and uh, illustration so it's right. not, not that different really to, to well I'm gonna have to commission you then for uh, for, for a, uh, to do some illustration I think oh I'm up for mm, that I think about yeah. that yeah yeah <laughs> especially now that um, all my clients are, are dropping off the face of the earth because a, a lot of my clients are um, events and musicians and of course none of those people ah, can do anything now yeah yeah <laughs> meanwhile no, my, a problem. my other my alter ego has just been getting busier and busier because I mean although I do write stuff um, I, I got a rejection for a radio play this morning, so that's nice. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I work for NSPCC Childline. And so, oh, right, yeah. as you can imagine, over the course of the pandemic, that's all got quite busy and, and, and heavy. So yeah. um, I feel like it does feed into my writing life because every story under the sun exists out there and you really do get windows into lives that you wouldn't otherwise come across but yeah I, I like I don't it, it would be unprofessional for me to be um harvesting them for fiction so I don't tend to do that no, but um, no, no. counseling and fiction are far more related than I think people might think yeah. no I can I can understand that yeah yeah 
a, a lot of the sort of uh, damage that we sustain is about the stories we tell ourselves and the stories other people tell us about us. Yeah, <laughs> you know. yeah, very much. But yeah. also, I think there's a lot to be said for um, representation, isn't there? As well, you know, mm. can really play a part in helping people uh, with mental health and stuff. Um, and also, I mean, there was something when, when we were working on Ragged Charles of Philanthropists um, and uh, during the sort of busy period in the Labour Party when there was a lot of activism and, I mean, round here particularly, you know, uh, there was a really active Labour group, it still is, but it was a very mm. active Labour group of, of activists all going out doing things. And... Um, I was sort of feeling guilty that um, physically um, I, I wasn't able to do that stuff, but also um, I couldn't just because I was drawing a book. <laughs> and so she yeah. said um, that Marx, um, there was this quote from Marx about how um, people like Dickens uh, have done far more for, um, you know, for social uh, progress than politicians have. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you read a book that's about somebody else's situation that you wouldn't have otherwise ever come across or ever understood, yeah. it, it goes in, doesn't it? It affects people in a different way. So yeah. people people recognise Oliver Twist's awful situation um, and yeah. they might be more inclined to notice what's making that happen. Yeah, I mean, that is the power of books and theatre and film. Mm. isn't it as you say representation so um to pick up on that your your uh, ragged education uh idea project so um hashtag ragged ragged education that's difficult to say that Um, (laughs) (laughs) you're asking people to donate a copy or request a copy yeah so there's a page on our website which is ricardsisters.com where you can click a button to donate the cover price of a copy of the ragged trousered philanthropist graphic novel and we will send it to a a sixth form college or prison library that requests it and there's a equally appealing button there on the website for you if you work with young people aged sort of 16 to 18 or in a prison or in a place where you think that there ought to be a copy of the book in the library and we'll send you one and at the moment we actually have more donations than requests so, oh really? Um, actually, I don't think that's true. Right, as of this morning. Oh really? Oh, I'm I, behind. I think, I think we're equal. We're, we're running equal. Okay, Scarlett's better at keeping up to date with these things than I. <laughs> I do do all the parcels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. No, I mean, and and I'm sure you know, uh, Mr. Books will do what uh, they can to uh, support that as well. We did we did uh, tweet about the book, and we we got a. In fact, we got a a parent of a child in uh, Spain requesting mm. a copy of the book amazing oh, so, yeah yeah so hopefully hopefully we'll, we'll uh, get more of that because it is such a i say you know I've, i know i've sung its praises already but it's such a great uh, accessible version of a really important book and i, and think, I think that i mean Earlier, before we started, I was making a joke about your son's generation being so clean living. (laughs) Uh, Not liking the theme tune. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, 
but I think that they're the the current generation of um teenagers maybe up to age sort of 23 are so politically engaged they've been through so much they've been noticing everything's been on fire and Mm. they've also been brought up to expect to be able to do something about it and so I think it's really important to help them to get the language and the confidence to keep going yeah and to yeah. do something about it because I think they might be our only hope <laughs> yeah I Especially think by definition they are <laughs> yeah but yes of course yeah but with yeah. The, environmentally as well they're very very much more proactive about um you know the, the uh sort of environmental crisis yeah and, and I think you know the, the older generation who are running everything just aren't taking it seriously at all. Just to kind of, well, all the time you can make money off it, they'll be mm. making money rather than rescuing things. Yeah, yeah. So, which uh, brings me to two other questions. Mm-hmm. I know we're we're kind of up up against an hour. I don't want to take up all your morning. Oh no, but... it's, we're, we're <laughs> quite happy to matter. It's good fun. <laughs> yeah, it is good. Um, one was that that uh, commission Scarlet I'm talking about is oh, yeah. uh, did I did I send you um, a copy of uh, my book? Uh, it's got a short story in called The Girl Who Bought the Moon. Oh no, I don't think we know. Oh, okay. Well, I'll send you that, and you can have a look at that and see if it spurs any ideas because it, it is a essentially it's a uh, has an environmental uh, theme at the heart of it, hmm. um, but. Uh, but the other question was, so uh, what are you going to do next? <clears throat> I don't know if we can talk about it. I think we can. Oh. I think we can talk about it. Well, you maybe we could talk about it in, in very vague terms. Well, we've talked about it before, so I think it's okay to talk about it. Yeah, all right. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nobody listens anyway. <laughs> well, that's all right then. Um, yeah, we're, our next project we're working on is um, sort of quite similar to the Ragged Trouser Philanthropist in a lot of ways. It was written around the same time, um, but it's about the suffrage movement, with votes for women. Well, in yeah. a sense, this is the twin sister to the Ragged Trousered Philanthropist. Yeah. And it's by Constance Elizabeth Maud, who was... Mm-hmm on the front line, as it were, of the suffrage movement. And it's written in a similar sort of style. So there are political conversations, but what there mostly is is actual action of how it affects people's lives and why it was important in a similar style to Ragged Trousers. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Sounds good. It's good because it's it's sort of humorous and witty and sharp. And one of the things um, that sort of binds the two books together, actually, is that um, they both use um, quite sort of verging on patronising accents for people. Oh, absolutely. Oh, really? Appalling, hideous working class dialogue. Oh, Tressel was worse, I think, than Maud. In, in some ways, I'm quite impressed by Maud because she was the daughter of a vicar in Surrey, I think. Mm. Um, but she's written all the the action that takes place in Lancashire. She's actually written the 
dialogue in dialect, not just oh an my. accent, but actually in dialect. So hard to read. <laughs> Even as Lancastrians, it's quite tough going to read it because I think yeah. the idea of it was to um, to write a book that that would be appealing to mill workers as well as aristocrats. You know, to to try and get the ideas of suffrage across to people who otherwise wouldn't have thought about it. It was used as a campaigning tool. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of aimed at at mill workers uh, to to try and get ideas across. So I think maybe that's why she did it that way. But oh my god, it's hard work to. <laughs> so Sophie's going through it now, um, translating <laughs> it all into English. She's <laughs> got some interesting modern parallels though, because there's the whole question of direct action and whether political violence is acceptable, which is yeah. very relevant right now. And mm. there's a lot of um, questions of representation and you know what difference it makes if you're if the if you're kind of people and not represented in political class what happens mm. to the rights of your kind of people so considering it's about something that people would generally think the argument is over it's got some really um, current themes in it mm. it sounds yeah. great Sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. What's, what's your uh, schedule for that then? A couple of years. Yeah, couple probably. Years. Yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's not set in stone yet, but yeah, it'll be a while to, to draw it. I mean, Sophie's actually still writing it, so <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to work on all the chapter headings and then get on to it. When, Sounds when the great. Yeah. That's something to look forward to. Um, I, I have got one other favour to ask of you. Uh, I mean, you don't have to do this, and we can always cut this out where you tell me to go away. Um, <laughs> is, uh, uh, I don't know whether you've heard of uh, bookshop.org, which is mm, the, yeah. the sort of, yes, the answer to, uh, to Amazon. Um, we, we've just uh, set up our store on there. If you would like to do, uh, to give a, a, a list of maybe a half a dozen books each that have inspired you, mm. we'll put that as a as a reading list on our on our oh, website as well. I have to say that um, um, Sophie is much more highbrow than me in her. Book it doesn't pages. matter. Really doesn't <laughs> well, matter. I think it's good though because we can make sure that the haunted house and burglar bill get on there. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I tell you, Burglar Bill is already on there. I tell you, it's yeah. in my list. Uh, well, one of my favourite books as a kid was um, an American book, but it had been adapted for the English market, called Old MacDonald Had Some Flats by Judith Barrett. <laughs> right, um, and it was basically—I think it's not very well known, but it was—it was basically about a a uh, you know, caretaker in a block of flats in America um, who found animals far more appealing than the tenants and so as the tenants moved out he moved animals in and the drawings <laughs> are just so good um you know sort of uh, carrots coming through the ceiling <laughs> into the flat below and stuff. But yeah I, it was one of my favorites as a child I, I just love anything with detail like that it you know, frightened like... me that book because I think it was my first glimpse of anarchy <laughs> But it was also about capitalism. Very because much, the, yeah. The, uh, the man who owned the apartment block, Fat Mr. Rental, uh, wow. he actually, um, I thought of him quite a lot when I was drawing Rushton. For it's Rushton. a very trestle name, isn't it? Very. It is. Yeah, it is. It's all very, I mean, it was very uh, early 70s, I think, this book. It was, you know, quite sort of uh, 
uh, hip. Yeah. <laughs> Philip, um, can I ask New you... York. Sorry. Sorry. Can I ask you a bookshop question? Which of course you can. Yeah. It's not appropriate. Um, what's the difference between bookshop and hive? Yeah. Uh, well, that's that's a very good question. The, um, they uh, hive is owned by one of the major uh, distributors, book distributors, right? Um, and uh, uh, which yeah, which is fine. Um, it's fairly useful. Bookshops get a, uh, more commission through bookshop, do they? if that makes sense, yeah, right, than okay, they do sure. through Hive. Yeah. Um, uh, with Hive, it, it ends up as uh, you know pence. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Uh, with bookshop, it's it's uh, it's a little bit more. It's a bit closer to what you would get uh, selling direct. Right. Oh, okay. well, that's good to know because yeah. we're mm. wondering, like, you know, how to push things because yeah. we've promoted hive quite a lot as an alternative you know before the yeah. shop existed and then i didn't know whether to switch horses or what because i wasn't it's so um opaque trying to work out who's making where the, trying to follow the money is almost mm. from the outside yeah yeah well as uh, i think i've said uh before well certainly on social media uh, <laughs> amazon uh, hasn't made any money at all from uh, selling books until uh, maybe a, a year or so ago. So all their spending, talk about capitalism, all their spending in that area was just to get share of that market. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, and you know, to, to give uh, credit to Hive and to gardeners who run it. And um, I can't remember the, the uh, company that owns the whole thing. Uh, you know, they have been resisting that quite well. Yeah. Um, I think Bookshop uh, is is just a little bit more high profile. And as I say, it seems well, to be a little bit Well, that was what we were more... wondering, because it's hard to tell whether, you know, that they, people were sort of lauding bookshop.org as, mm. uh, you know, the, the you know, brand new invention that's, uh, you know, going to fight back against Amazon. And we were thinking, but what about Hive? Hive's doing that, isn't it? And a little part of me was waiting for Scooby-Doo to take the mask off Bookshop and discover that it's Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You can just never tell whether whether it is really a radical new idea or just very well marketed, very well publicised. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's probably marginally better, but I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be a character witness for it just yet. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Listen, um, thank you so much. I'm sorry, I don't want to cut you no, off, but no, um, no. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And uh thank you. It's, it's been, been really good fun. It has been lovely talking to you. And maybe we'll talk again, uh if not uh soon, but uh in a couple of years when that new book comes out, yeah. that'd be really good. <laughs> and okay. yeah. and um, we'll see you on Twitter anyway. Wave it. Yes. Yes, of course. Yeah. And if you're uh, in Tunbridge, um, you know, obviously call in to the bookshop. It isn't actually that far away from me in the scheme of things. Not really. No. No. It all rather depends on whether we ever leave the house again. Yeah. Well, this is true. Yeah. 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 (laughs) We'll we'll hang on in there. Thanks again. And it's been really lovely talking to you. Thank you. Thank you very much.
So there you go, that was Scarlett and Sophie Rickard. And I really enjoyed that chat. And you can order their book, The Ragged Trousered Philanthropist, uh, or indeed the other one, Man's Best Friend from Mr. Books, of course, which, as we said, is also now to be found on UKBookshop.org. That's UK.bookshop.org. And don't forget to check the episode notes for links to the bookshop and the books that we mentioned. And also, and I keep forgetting this, take a look at the title words, which we link to an online visual dictionary, Visuwords. It's fascinating and interactive. That's visuwords.com. As always, Ideas in Writing is supported by Mr. Book's Bookshop in Tunbridge, the home of independent, inspiring and imaginative books, gifts and conversation, including an exclusive range of book-related and Mr. Book's-inspired T-shirts. So, you know, Christmas presents. Uh, whatever you want to buy from us helps us keep um, our independent bookshop open. So thanks again for listening and see you next time when we're hoping it's going to be Ian McMillan, the amazing poet and familiar Radio 4 voice. See you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can support us. You just need to click on the link and become an ACAST supporter. It's a one-off donation. You can give as much or as little as you like, and uh, there's no commitment. But it certainly helps us to keep producing these podcasts. So thank you very much.